Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good morning and welcome to the Muni Lowdown, the podcast produced by DebtWire Municipals. Today is Wednesday, February 24, 2021, and we're continuing our series of guest speakers called State of Play, and I'd like to welcome Kimberly Lyons from Moody's. Kimberly, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. So excited to be here. Oh, excited to have you here too. So let me give a brief bio of you before we begin. For those who are not in Munich, who are not familiar with you, you are currently Vice President, Senior Analyst on the local government's government ratings team at Moody's. And prior to rejoining Moody's, you served as SVP Head of Muni Finance Credit Risk at Dexia Credit Local. And then before Dexia, you were at Moody's. You spent the bulk of your career there as an analyst on the state ratings team. In addition to your professional role, you also serve as co-president of the Northeast Women in Public Finance. Great group. Yes, a perfect summation. (laughs) Let's get started with our show. And I want to talk about a report Moody's did on local governments in the U.S. And I think this was back in December. And the headline sort of says it all. 2021 outlook negative as weak economic conditions persist. So let me ask you my first question. Um, Why the outlook on local governments is negative, specifically uh, counties and cities? The negative outlook uh, primarily reflects the weak economic conditions. I think the current conditions are better than people may have expected, primarily compared to last spring, but they're still materially weaker. You know, obviously we're still in the midst of a global pandemic, which has drastically altered all of our realities in day-to-day lives. Um, Coming up on that one-year anniversary, local governments are still facing challenges um, related to that uneven economic recovery. You know, dealing with the coronavirus challenge, it takes time and most importantly, it takes money. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, revenue growth is essential for for our localities Um, and additional federal aid, you know, to be quite frank, There's a lot of uncertainty regarding uh, a federal aid package under the new administration. We aren't making any assumptions of when it will pass, um, but if it does pass, that obviously would be a positive for local governments. Right. Now, you were mentioning challenges. I know in in most cases, uh, and I live in New Jersey, uh, the biggest revenue stream is property taxes, but they lag behind since owners pay quarterly like myself. So how does this delayed impact affect uh, local governments? That lag actually works in favor of local governments, Um, unlike sales and income tax, (laughs) which are closely linked to economic performance. The timing and the lag when property values are assessed, when property owners pay their taxes, it gives governments time again. what we can do with the challenges of coronavirus. It gives governments time to react. Uh, They have the ability to cut spending, to rebalance their budget, to do reforecasting. So time works in favor for local governments in regards to the lag. And you were mentioning something that leads to my next question, income and sales taxes. So certain localities are more reliant on that, the income and sales taxes. When could they see a return to, uh, say, normalcy? Well, um, young, that, that depends on your definition of normal. <laughs> there, you know, we, I think we've all come to this place where we are in agreement that there will be a new version of normal. 
And mm-hmm. it's pretty, it, it's hard to say what that will look like across the board. You know, again, sales and income taxes are the revenue sources that are most closely linked to the economy. And they tend to decline as soon as um, the economy takes a hit. Unemployment rates continue to be higher in the past. So obviously that's going to translate into lower income tax receipts. However, the trend with sales tax revenue has been interesting to watch. Revenue declines took a hit early on, but rebounded pretty sharply. You know, folks are at home, stuck with limited outlets. Online shopping has turned into a new pastime. There's a lot of pent up demand after the initial round of strict lockdowns. Once those restrictions were lifted and people could go outside, you know, they did so and they did so with their wallets open. Those that still didn't feel comfortable, you continue to do um, online shopping and it benefited those revenue sources. You know, states like Georgia, where ironically they passed an online sales tax collection bill right before the start of the shutdown. They benefited greatly from those receipts on, you know, Amazon, Walmart, all the large online real retailers. So it, it was interesting to see um, the difference in the trends uh, between sales tax and income tax. So, Kimberly, I think you're uh, you're leading me to my next question about Georgia, but I'll get to that in a little bit later. But let's talk about we're both we're talking about normalcy, and obviously, it's it sounds like a broken record. Uh, people working from home. Uh, it's been about a year now into the pandemic, give or take. So let's talk about the shift for people like us working from home, either full-time or part-time. Doesn't this pose like a, a huge financial challenge for major cities in terms of lost sales and let's say gas tax and different types of taxes? That's a really good question. And again, I, I think it depends. I think there are a lot of factors in play, including regional differences, corporate culture differences, Um you know, I think we're seeing a lot of firms are taking a cautious approach to when to return to the office based on a need to protect workers, you know, health and safety. Large cities like San Francisco and New York are obviously already feeling the effects of um, the exodus of workers from the city center. Um, and I think we, we foresee a longer recovery path uh, expected for, for those cities. But um, Kind of on the flip side of that, these cities are exceptionally large and diverse with very strong governance and fiscal best practices. And that is going, um, that's going to work in their advantage in the long term. Comprehensive and strategic planning, robust forecasting, that will allow these urban centers to formulate plans to address these challenges. I guess that, that goes for, you know, more towards the shift of, of working from home. Um, and then also, I think to that point, it won't be an instant shift to working from home. I think it will be gradual changes, also depending upon personal comfort, you know, how people feel about, you know, once there is an effective, uh, comprehensive rollout of the vaccine, if they feel comfortable going back into an office space, you know, I think personal opinions have changed on that after a year of being, um, <laughs> you know, working from home. I think, you know, initially it was the Russian excitement and like, oh, this is cool. And now you're, you're stuck in the same place for a year. People, um, you know, are craving uh, social connections again with their coworkers. They mm-hmm. miss that. Mm-hmm. There may not be a long-term effect, you know, at all. But again, we're, we, we are uh, monitoring those cities that have um, large urban work centers 
And again, I think it's reflected these are very highly rated credits and, you know, again, with strong governance and fiscal best practices, and that will be the strength um, that carries them in the long term. I see. There's so much going on in the year and I, you know, there's so many factors involved. Like you said, it, it, it's every firm is different. It I, I, Informally, friends I've talked to, their for, uh, companies they work for, they said, you know what, just come back after Labor Day. Let's not, you know, give a, a tentative date, but we'll see what happens, but we'll see. I've got one more general question, then I'm going to go back, go into like specific credits, if you don't mind. So the last question I have is, um, tell me about, you were talking about urban centers, and obviously in the U.S. you've got school districts. I want to know about the impact on that. Uh, the report that Moody's had uh, states that some could even could see flat or reduced funding. Talk a little, talk a little bit about that. Okay, so the percentage of funding from state aid for individual school districts can vary widely. The two primary revenue sources for school districts are state aid and property taxes. Uh, for districts with wealthier mm -hmm. tax bases, local property taxes tend to be greater than the funding from state aid, so it reduces their dependence on, on the state. That being said, um, fiscal year 2020, which ended June 30, 2020 was interesting for school districts. You know, most mostly all went virtual towards the end of the school year at like mid-March. So they were able to save substantially on operating costs because schools, you know, were closed, less reliance on substitutes, no transportation costs, less building costs. So that put them in a position to end the fiscal year with major surpluses, increased fund balances setting them up pretty well for the challenges for fiscal year 2021. So fiscal year 2021 is where we did see some states implement either a hold harmless, meaning no increase in their aid or a slight adjustment. So for instance, the state of Georgia, again, I, and I clear, obviously I cover state of Georgia, so the particulars are like right there. So they implemented a 10% mm -hmm. across the board cut very early on. So the districts were able to prepare their budgets Subsequently, they actually just restored a portion of that. So school districts actually aren't getting as hit as hard. But, you know, again, the surpluses and savings that these school districts have for fiscal year 2020 was able to provide a buffer for these state aid cuts. In addition, um, school districts receive CARES Act funding. So the combination of the CARES Act funding plus the prior year surpluses right. mitigated the fluctuations in state aid. All right, Kimberly, uh, I think that should... That's sort of my general questions for now. I want to talk about specific areas, if you don't mind. I know you cover local government, so I want to talk about within the state of Hawaii, within the state of Nevada, specific local governments. I believe you can discuss Honolulu and Las Vegas as well. Sure. And you're correct. These are both Honolulu and Vegas are travel destinations, both leisure and business. And I think what we're seeing now is it's leisure travel will actually recover faster in destinations as opposed to business travel. With Honolulu, we actually have a negative outlook on it. The pandemic has severely curtailed the tourism activity there. However, Honolulu's revenue is primarily derived from property taxes, which is a state which has a stabilizing affect there. Um, and that's, you know, why we haven't actually taken a rating action there. Also, um, Honolulu has a very solid financial profile. So while, you know, there was some 
short-term stress there, we do believe that um, there will be a, a recovery. And, you know, the same with Vegas, although the city's dependence on tourism remains a credit challenge, the city is supported by a very strong management team. Um, they're proactively managing its financial position. And also, they, you know, both benefited from uh, federal aid, which helped for fiscal year uh, 2021. Again, the recovery outlook for tourism, and it's it's kind of uneven. Obviously, the effective distribution of the vaccine, um, getting people their comfort levels up to travel again, that will also expedite the tourism in in both of these areas. Um, but I do think that you know we're, we we absolutely have a pent up demand. I know I do personally um, to travel again. And once um, once those gates open, I, I think that both Honolulu and Vegas will have um, will have a recovery. Yes, and I, my car is full of t uh, gas, all tanked up, ready to go. So I'm I'm one of those. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about, you mentioned uh, that you covered the state of Georgia, the, the Peach State, and I was just Googling it just now, and another nickname is the Empire State of the South, which I've never heard that, so that's interesting. I've never heard that either, so <laughs> that may be a new one. I've always wanted to go, my uncle lives in Atlanta, so one of these days I'll check it out, but I have not been down there yet, but let's talk about that state, and uh, I know... Um, Let's talk about, I guess, uh, outside of Atlanta, speaking of Atlanta, outside of Atlanta, Fulton County, DeKalb County. Tell me about the, that area uh, around that city. So that area is the regional economic hub of the South. Um, obviously, Atlanta is the state capital um, located actually both in Fulton, primarily in Fulton, but a, a small piece of the city is um, in DeKalb as well. That entire area and including, um, you know, some areas, um, additional counties outside of that ring, just benefit from the strong job growth that, have, that we've seen in Atlanta in the past couple of years, strong population growth. And I think this is all kind of fueled by the um, affordable cost of living there, low business costs. I think the city of Atlanta is home to about 16 Fortune 500 companies, which is a pretty, you know, pretty big deal. A lot of, they actually have a lot of um, federal agencies located there as well. I think the most outside of the DC area, that's, you know, primarily reflected that entire regional center there, um, strong management teams, very low, you know, debt burdens, again, the net impact, the positive net in migration, it just, it's continuing. Um, and I, I think it'll continue going forward as we see this kind of digital transformation where people, you know, are allowed to work from home. They may be looking to, you know, have bigger spaces, move out in more suburban areas. And this area will absolutely accommodate that um, with the, the low cost of living. Now, and you were mentioning something, uh, a place that I'm gonna that leads to my to my last question, Kimberly. You were mentioning about Washington D.C., and I want to talk about that as well within the greater area, like Arlington, uh, in Virginia. T talk about that as well. So that area, of Virginia, similar to Georgia, um, you know, both AAA states. We find that the local governments uh, there are. Uh, also extremely highly rated, very strong management teams. The presence of the federal government is a stabilizing factor. 
the areas in Northern Virginia, you know, obviously directly benefit, but then there's also a spillover effect in the Southern and Western part. You have a lot of military presence there, federal um, contractors, but also, you know, to the local government's credit themselves, they've had a long history of conservatively managing their budgets, being very proactive, you know, at the start of the pandemic, these were the places where you saw the governments, you know, quickly reassess what their forecast was and make adjustments as necessary. Well, very interesting. Kimberly, uh, I want to thank you so much for your time today. It was very insightful. And uh, we hope to have you on the podcast again soon. I would love to be back. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for having me. And that is our show for today. Uh, many thanks to Kimberly Lyons, Vice President and Senior Analyst on the local government's rating team at Moody's. And many thanks to you, our listeners out there in Muniland, who Tune in week after week for the latest on distressed mini debt on the mini lowdown produced by Debtwire Municipals. Have a good day, everybody. Take care and bye. Thanks for listening to the mini lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to debtwire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.